So if you have your Bible today, let's go a little bit deeper one more time in our faith. And I want you to open them up to the left side of your Bible, to the book of 2 Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. And so to get to 2 Kings, you're going to go left, you're going to go past the Psalms. 2 Kings is right after 2 Samuel and right before 1 and 2 Chronicles. I don't know how much help that gives you, but that's where you can find it. <laughs> uh, but this morning, we are going to read um, a great story. It's a great story by anyone's standards. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's compelling. It's fascinating. And God has spilled a lot of ink in the Bible in order to communicate this story to us. And here's why I think that is. Uh, this is just about the perfect picture of what it means to actually have a life-changing encounter with God. And it happens by faith. And so as we read this story, one of the first things that we will discover is that it's about uh, an enemy of Israel. Uh, it's about a man named Naaman. He's the commander of the Syrian army. Naaman is a powerful man. Naaman is a great man. Naaman is an extraordinarily wealthy man. But as great and powerful man, he has a terrible disease, uh, and it's a disease with no cure, one that if left unchecked will certainly lead to his death, and he knows it. And so where will he go? What will he do? Let's go ahead and read it in 2 Kings chapter 5. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. let's eat. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we want to pray right now, God, that you would meet us here in this place by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would speak to us. God, that you would open up our ears. God, that you would give us eyes to see. God, that you would illuminate the very words of Scripture that you yourself wrote. God, make them come alive in our hearts. God, help us to see the gospel. Help us to see faith. Help us to see with eyes of faith. And God, even right now, I just pray that you would even draw near to us. God, for those who are suffering, God, for anyone here who is grieving, mourning, or just in need today, God, I pray that they would sense your nearness and your presence, that they would sense your great love for them. And God, that even I would sense your great love for me as we read this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, are you guys in Second Kings 5? Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and read it. If you... Uh, if you couldn't find it, it's going to be right here on the screen for you. Here's what it says. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that the Lord were with the prophet who's in, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? 
to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. He says, the king of Syria knows I can't heal someone of leprosy. He's just trying to pick a fight. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. All right, what a, what a great story. Did, did you guys, were you guys there? Did you see it with your eyes? I want to preach a sermon to you today that I've been titling, The Gospel Can Change anyone. Amen. The gospel can change anyone. I want you to know that at Walk Church, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save anyone. And there's probably no better picture of that in the Old Testament than this story that we've just read about Naaman. So let's take a moment and just look a little bit closer at this man who we come face to face with in 2 Kings. Here's what I want you to know. The fact that Naaman came to Israel for help is meant to be shocking. It's meant to be shocking. So first of all, I want, I want to just put my first point up on the screen here. Here's what it is. The gospel, uh, I'm sorry, God's grace comes to unexpected people. God's grace comes to unexpected people. Verse one tells us that Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man. So we're told he's great. He's a commander. He was a great man with his master and in high favor. Why? Well, it was because by him, by Naaman, the Lord, the God of Israel, had given victory to Syria. He gave the king of Syria and he gave Naaman victory over Israel. That's unexpected. I think this is another sermon, so I'm not going to get too much into it, but I think that's important because here's what it shows us. It shows us that, that God is not just the God of Israel, but he's the God of the whole world. Right? And that God can even use a wicked man like Naaman to bring judgment upon his own people. And the Jews hated him for that. It says, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And although Naaman was loved in his country, 
he was hated in Israel. You see, Naaman was a Syrian, right? The Syrians remain sworn enemies of Israel to this very day. Naaman was not Jewish, right? Which is one of the reasons why it's so shocking that he, this man found the grace of God. He was a Gentile. The Jews would have actually used a, a slur against him. They would have called him a Gentile dog. Syrians were hated by the Jews because Naaman had conquered Israel in battle and because he kidnapped Israelite children to work as slaves for his own household. Here's a man who's a commander. Here's a man who's wealthy. Here's a man who is connected. Here is a man who is a victorious military general. But we're told he's a leper. Right? What, this, it should be shocking to us because this man was so hated in Israel. This, this happened 900 years before Christ came onto the scene. But when Jesus came onto his public ministry and he, and he finally came onto the scene, in Luke chapter 4, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, no prophet is accepted in their own hometown. And Jesus is saying, I'm no exception. But check out what Jesus says. I want you to notice how angry the people get when he brings up the fact that Naaman was, was healed of his leprosy. He says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. 900 years after the fact, the Jewish people are still so angry that God healed Naaman. Do you see how unexpected it is that this person, the Syrian person, would, would find the grace of God? God's grace comes to unexpected people. He had leprosy. We're face to face with a man who is the victim of an incurable, terrible disease. He's a man who's becoming more and more pitiful to look at with each passing day. And although he's extraordinarily wealthy and connected, there's no one who can, who can help him with his disease. Leprosy was an especially terrible disease because um, if you had leprosy, you'd be banished from your community. You couldn't live in your home anymore. You couldn't even live within the, the walls of the city. You had to live outside the city because, number one, it was so contagious. And number two, it was so atrocious just even to look at, to be around. Your, your limbs would literally start to rot, and eventually your limbs would fall off, and eventually you would die. And judging by the king's response, Naaman's case was certainly a fatal case. He says, am I God to kill and, and make alive? I can't heal him of his leprosy. And just when it sounds like there's no hope for Naaman, but this unexpected person with seemingly no hope is the one who finds grace with God. So how should we understand this this morning? How did an enemy of Israel find the grace of God? I think one way to think about the grace of God is to think about heaven right? To think about heaven. I don't know about you, um, but ha have you guys ever been invited to a, to a fancy dinner? I'll just call it a fancy dinner. You ever got an invitation to a fancy dinner? I I've gotten one or two in my life, and, and maybe you're, you're like me, maybe you're not, but I always want to know, who, hey, who else is going to be there at this dinner, <laughs> right? Who's on the guest list? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, I want you to know that you have received an invitation Woo! to the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And one day, 
We'll all be there together. It'll be the best dinner party you've ever seen in your life. Jesus will be there. We will be there. And it's going to be an incredible dinner. Amen? It's going to be an incredible. But if we were to take a look at the guest list, there might be some surprising people on that list. For instance, there will be murderers in heaven. The Apostle Paul will be there. There will be thieves in heaven. The thief on the cross will be there. There will be adulterers in heaven. King David will be there. There will be liars in heaven. Abraham will be there. There will be people who actually have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter will be there. There will be prostitutes in heaven. Yes, Rahab will be there. There will be all kinds of sinners in heaven. Yes, even you and I will be there. We'll all be redeemed and we will all be saved by grace through faith. Listen, many of us have had friends and family members and acquaintances that we've lost hope for. They're resistant to the gospel. They're rebellious to, their, to the core. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They certainly don't want you telling them again about the gospel, right? But, but here's what I want us to know. Some of these people in our life who we may, maybe we've been praying for for a very long time, Maybe in our mind, we've even, the thought has even crossed our mind that it's impossible. There's no way that they'll ever come to faith in Christ. I want you to know this morning that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Listen, if God can save Naaman the Syrian, he can save your lost friend or family member, no matter how hard and how rebellious they are. And so I think one of the things that we can learn from this this morning is don't ever give up praying for your loved ones. Don't ever give up. Look, God is actually the one who started the school of the impossible, right? Listen, that's his school. That's what God majors in. God is the God of the impossible. So maybe you can think of that person right now. Who's that person in your mind who you've been praying for, who you're almost about to lose hope on? Who's that person? Do you have their name in your mind? You have some people? Come on, here's what I think we should do. I think that we should go to the Lord right now by faith and pray to the God of Naaman. Pray to the God of the impossible that he would save our friends because God can do it. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's, let's take a minute and pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we pray to the God of the impossible right now. God, we pray to the God who came to save sinners. God, I pray right now for our lost friends and family members. God, some of us in this room have been praying for our children and they're lost. God, some of us in this room have been praying for our parents and our grandparents and they're lost. God, some of us have been praying for spouses and longtime friends and God, they're lost and they're far from you. God, we would even just say in human terms, it seems impossible. But we pray right now to the God of, of the impossible. God, we call on the God of Naaman right now, the God of Israel, and God, we pray that you would save our friends and our family members, God. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts up, God, with perseverance that we would never give up. Because God, you can reach anyone. Come on, are there some people that you want to pray for right now? Come on, say their names out loud. Let's bring them to the Lord in prayer by faith. Stacy, God, we lift up Stacy to you, God. We pray that you would save Stacy. Anthony, God, we pray for Anthony, God. He's not too far from you, God. It's not impossible. God, we pray that you would save him. 
God, we pray for Julio right now, God, in Jesus' name, that you would draw him near to you. God, that you would make him desperate before you and that he would come to you by faith and find the grace of God. God, we pray for Benny. God, we pray that you would save George's brother, God, that you would do it in Jesus' name. God, we pray for TJ, Easton, Rowdy. God, we pray for all of these people. God, I pray for my friend Robert right now in Jesus' name. God, nothing is impossible with you. God, you're the God who saves unexpected people. Yes, Lord. Jake, Justin, Terry, God, all of these people. God, I pray that you would help us not to give up. Help us to persevere in prayer. God, we believe that you can save them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Yeah, God can save them. God can save anyone. So I just want to encourage you again, don't give up. There's hope for the hopeless in your life. So Naaman had no answers, but answers come from the most unexpected place. In verses two through four, we find that there was a young Israelite girl who had been taken captive and made to serve in Naaman's house. And when she heard of Naaman's incurable disease, she told Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Listen, we need to understand this morning that God's grace not only comes to unexpected people, but point number two, God's grace comes through unexpected people. You see, Naaman had no answers, but God's providence had already been at work. One day, a Syrian raiding party went into an Israelite village, and people heard the sound of chariots and, and horses and people marching through the streets, and people were screaming, and, and people were being taken captive. And one of those captives that were taken was this little girl. And she was taken back to Naaman's house, and she was made to work as a slave for Naaman's wife. And the answers come through unexpected people. It's interesting when you compare Naaman and this little girl. For instance, number one, we know his name, but we don't even know her name. All she's revealed to us to be is a servant. He's a Syrian. He's not even a believer in the living God. She's an Israelite. She's a believer in the God of Israel. We're told that he's a great man, but she's just a little girl, probably between the ages of 10 and 12. He's a commander of armies. She's just a servant. She's a slave. And check this out. He's a leper, but she knows the cure. She knows the cure. There couldn't have been anybody in Syria who was more insignificant than this one little girl. Her, her life may not have mattered to anyone, but I can tell you that her life mattered to God. I can just imagine her big brother yelling at her and saying, you can't do that, you're too little, right? But I can tell you this, that she wasn't too little to God because she had big faith in who God was. Not even slavery had shaken her faith. She knew with all of her heart that, she could, uh, that God could heal Naaman of his leprosy. One day she was probably doing her chores. She was probably working in Naaman's house in, in a room somewhere, and, and, and then maybe... Maybe Naaman's kids started to cry. And they started to cry because they missed their dad. Their dad is, can't even be in the same house as them. He's not only outside the house, but he's likely in isolation somewhere. And, and maybe this young servant girl starts to remember how much she misses her family. She knows how much it hurts. And so she has compassion on Naaman's kids. 
And she says to Naaman's wife, if only, if only my master were in Samaria, he would know that there was a, that there was a prophet in Israel. The prophet could cure him of his leprosy. See, I've, I've heard it said that big doors swing on small hinges. There couldn't have been a smaller hinge than this one girl's statement. But a great door swung open on that hinge. And because of her faith and her desire to see the glory of God and her willingness to speak, one day we will see Naaman at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not only did her statement and this young girl change history, but she also changed eternity. Amen? Here's what I think we can learn from this young girl. Number one, God can use anyone to make a massive life-changing impact for good on someone's life, regardless of age, social status, race, or occupation. Naaman had all the connections, but his answers came from the lips of a little servant girl. We don't even know her name. Number two, if you need answers in your life, get around some ordinary people who love God and have a desire to see the glory of God and have faith right? Get around some people like that. One, one way you can do that, I'm just going to plug charge group season. It's charge group season right now. Yeah. Come on, our charge groups are going to be filled with people just like this little girl who have big faith and a desire to see the glory of God. We have 25 different groups right now. The charge group semester is just starting. I want to encourage you to get in a group. Come on, look, look at the person who's sitting to your left. Look at the person who's sitting to your right. Listen, I want you to know that God might use that person to speak something powerful into your life. One of my favorite stories of charge groups is um, the story of my friend Nick and Bianca Martinez, right? You guys know Nick, Nick and Bianca? Nick came to my charge group. His first ever experience at Walk Church was not coming here on a Sunday morning, but it was coming to my group. And that's where he met his wife, Bianca, and they actually got married and Nick came to church, and, and he got saved, and, and Nick is serving in our church. And, and did you know that this semester, they're actually going to facilitate their own charge group from their house, from their home? Look, I'm, I'm tell, I can't guarantee that everyone in here is going to find a spouse if you come to my group, but it has happened before. I can at least say that, all right? But I'm not trying to highlight my group, um, but all the groups, right? There's a lot of great groups. Go to Nick and Bianca's group. It's going to be awesome. One of our core values here at Walk Church is authentic community, right? That's because we know that God uses ordinary people, not just pastors. Amen? You guys believe that? God doesn't just use pastors to speak truth into people's life. He uses ordinary people. In a lot of ways, we pastor each other at these groups. Last week, pa uh, Pastor Hyden preached a sermon about these paralyzed, the paralyzed man's friends bringing him to the Lord. I just want to encourage you, not only, I don't only think that you should just join a group, but I think that you should think about and pray about who you need to bring to the group. Come on, they're going to find healing. They're going to find faith in Christ if you bring them to the group. I believe that you'll be happy that you did it. Let's keep going here. Verses 5 through 7, the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel. He loads Naaman down with a ton of money, and he sends him to the king of Israel. And as we read earlier, the king of Israel has no answers. He thinks that the king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with him. Why is that? Well, in the ancient world, the, uh, the prophets and the priests always worked for the king. They were on the king's payroll. The king actually told the prophets and the priests what to say. The kings were the ones who were in control and in charge of their gods. But the king of Israel is saying, you don't understand, Naaman. You came to the one place in the world 
where the king doesn't tell the prophets what to do. You came to the one place in the world where the, the king is not in control and not in charge of God. You see, it doesn't matter if you brought all of the money in the world. There is nothing that I could ever do for you because I can't make God do anything. And as a matter of fact, the prophets tell the kings what to do because the kings are servants of God. Right? Naaman thought that he could buy a healing. And if he couldn't buy it, he was prepared to engage in some great military conquest in order to earn it. But Israel's king was powerless over Israel's God. And so what happens next is Naaman's thinking about God needs to be corrected. So if we're, if we're ever going to have a life-changing encounter with God, we must understand, point number three, that God's grace comes on unexpected terms. God's grace comes on unexpected terms. Do you remember what the little girl, girl said? She said, go to the prophet, right? Where did Naaman go? He went to King's. Isn't it amazing that this little girl knew better than kings? When Elisha heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I love that Elisha's concern is the same of that of the little girl. Her concern is to see the glory of God. And so we're told in verse 9 that Naaman went with his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, you have to see what's going on here, right? You've got this great commander of a Syrian army, and, 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 and he has no problem going to the kings because kings talk to kings and commanders of armies talk to important people, and he has no problem riding his chariot through the gates of the city. But Elisha says, no, send him to my house. So now all of a sudden you have this Syrian army commander who's riding not, not up to a, a presidential palace now, but into an average house at an average Israelite neighborhood. Can you just imagine some Bradley fighting vehicles and tanks and stuff like that showing up in front of your house in Mountain's Edge or wherever, wherever you live? I mean, this, this is a humbling sight, right? Do you, do you see what's happening here? Naaman's pride is starting to crumble. Naaman thinks he's a great man. But Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Elisha knows that Naaman considers himself to be a great man. He knows that Naaman is filled with pride. So what does Elisha do? Elisha doesn't even come outside to meet him. Can you imagine that? He doesn't even invite him inside his house. No, instead, he sends out a servant to go meet him. And he leaves Naaman standing outside the door. And here's what his servant says. His ser servant says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, listen, you have to understand, <laughs> the Jordan River is not an impressive river. It's not. It's muddy. It's slow. It's not even that beautiful. I'm not sure there's some pretty parts, but for the most part, the Jordan River is not impressive Listen, do you see that everything Elisha does is calculated to strike at the pride of Naaman's heart? Look how Naaman responds in verse 11. He says, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That's hilarious, right? Sometimes, like, these people, what do they think? We're magicians? Come on, they're going to come to walk church, and, and we're just going to go hocus pocus? Like, like what are we going to do? 
We're going to call, right? We're going to call on the name of the Lord our God, but we're not doing that. Look at what he says. He says, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, that's in Syria, better than all the waters of Israel? Do you hear the pride? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman is outraged because he came prepared to buy his blessing. He came prepared to work for his cleansing. He came prepared to earn his cleansing somehow. After all, he was a great man with great wealth and a great army, and that's what someone like that expects. Dipping in a muddy Jordan River seven times was just too easy. You see, anyone could do that. That's what Naaman is thinking. I'm a great man. Anybody could just go dip in the Jordan River seven times. A child could do that. An immoral person could do that. A thief, a criminal could do that. I'm Naaman. But that is precisely the point Elisha is making. We are all cleansed from our sin in exactly the same way. The great and the small, the wise and the simple, the powerful and the weak, we have to understand that God's grace is on God's terms and it only comes one way. And what seemed too easy for Naaman was actually the hardest thing in the world for him to do. His chariot would do him no good. His army would do him no good. His money would do him no good. His status and his connections and his position would do him no good. The only thing that he could do was the hardest thing of all. He had to humble himself. He had to believe the word of God. And he had to obey what it said by faith. Those are the terms of God's grace. Right? I, I, think, I think it's a great, um, a great example, right? Humble yourself. That's the first step. That's God's, that's his terms. You have to humble yourself. You have to see the fact that you are desperately in need and that you can't cure yourself. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Number two, you have to believe the word of God. But you don't, can't just believe. You have to trust and obey. That's what faith is. Faith is trust and obedience. You have to trust and obey. There's basically three reasons that people refuse to come to faith in Christ. First, they're convinced that they can find their cleansing elsewhere. By their own merit. They're going to earn it somehow. They don't understand God's grace. Naaman tried that, and what did he discover? that there was no help anywhere. Second, some people think that they just don't need Jesus, right? They're, they're not religious, but they are spiritual. Uh, they think that there's one way of salvation for them and another way of salvation for other people. They think that they'll get some special treatment by God because after all, God knows their heart and God knows that they're a good person, right? Naaman tried it. He didn't get special treatment. Third, some people think that Christianity is just too narrow, how could Jesus be the only way? That doesn't even make any sense. But doesn't that sound just like Naaman? He says, are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in, in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Why does it have to be the Jordan River? Why can't I go over to the Farpar River? Isn't that just as good? What the mighty Syrian warrior failed to understand is that the cleansing power of God had nothing to do with the water quality. Amen. <laughs> It had everything to do with the cleansing power of God's grace through faith. Can I just tell you something this morning, friends? God's terms for grace haven't changed. They haven't changed. 
It's by faith. It's by it's still by trusting and obeying the word of God. You see, at first, Naaman is outraged because he wants to earn his cleansing. He was great, and, and the, what the prophet said was just too easy for him. He deserves special treatment because, after all, he's important. The prophet's way is too narrow. They're just, there's better rivers out there. Verse 13, but his servants came to him and said, I love this, my father, <laughs> it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? <laughs> has he actually said to you, just wash and be clean? Look who finally talks some sense into Naaman. Listen, God keeps on, Naaman keeps, keeps on talking to kings about his problem, right? But God keeps on talking to Naaman through servants. Like first he talks to him through the servant girl. Then he talks to him through Elisha's servant. And then he talks to him through his own servants. They say, they say Father, this is a great word from the prophet. He's actually said to you, just wash and be clean. Won't you do that? What a great word. I like how he says, that's a great word. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like good news. Do you guys know that, that the gospel, if you were to just translate the word gospel, do you know what it actually means? It just means good news. See, Naaman's servants recognized their master's great need, answered by great news from the prophet's great God. I think that's a great example of what the gospel is, right? The gospel is that, hey, we all have great need. We have a great need. We can't save ourselves. Even if we're great, even if we're rich, even if we're connected, we have a great need. But you know what? There's great news that there's a cure. But is God great enough to be able to do it? He's our great God. Great need, great news, great God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Amen. All right. Yeah. And so Naaman, uh, finally Naaman does what the prophet said, right? More than just a military conquest, more than giving away vast sums of money, more than pulling on all of his connections, he does the hardest thing of all. He humbles himself and obeys God's word spoken to him through the servants. Let's take a look at verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Watch, check this out. Not only was his leprosy cured, and he was clean. You know what that means? That means it wasn't just physical healing that Naaman received, but because he trusted and obeyed God's word, he was saved. That's why I can say to you this morning that Naaman will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Check this out. It says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present. I'll clap with you, Manu. He says, so accept now a present from your servant. Did you notice how he's not trying to earn it anymore? He's responding now with a heart of gratitude. But Elisha said, he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You see, the great work that it would have taken to purchase 
Naaman's healing was far greater than anything Naaman could have possibly done. There's not enough money in the world to buy the cleansing that Naaman so desperately needed. Because earlier we were, we were singing a song that said, death is defeated, the king is alive. Listen, as mighty and powerful as Naaman was, and he was mighty, he wasn't mighty enough to defeat death. There's only one person who could do that. Jesus was the only person who could not only defeat sin, but he could also conquer the grave. He could defeat death. He could rise again. And only Jesus was the one who was powerful enough. Only the one, he was the only one who had enough riches to be able to earn salvation. And you know what? He earned it for us. He didn't earn it for himself. He didn't need to be saved. He was already clean. But Jesus is the one who's done that work. That's why we can only receive grace. Do you see how foolish it is to think that God is going to accept me because I'm a good person? No, you didn't defeat death. It takes a whole lot more than that. I'm, I'm going to just give money to charity and, and not cheat on my taxes. No, no, no. You don't understand. It takes so much more than that. It takes way more than that. You don't understand. You have to be able to defeat death. And not only that, but you have to be sinless and perfect before you even attempt to do that, which you're already not. It's impossible. The only thing that we can do is receive it. It's no different for us today. We must realize our great need. We must realize the great news. And we must respond to the grace of our great God with faith. So I invite the worship team to help me come and close this sermon. Let's just take a look at Naaman's life after his cleansing. And let's just see if there's, there's some things that we can see. Um, that will help us to understand whether or not we have had a life-changing encounter with God. Here's the first thing. Here's what Naaman did. Number one, he trusted and obeyed the word of God by faith. You just have to ask yourself this morning, have I, have I done that? Have I humbled myself? Have I trusted and obeyed the word of God? Number two, it changes the way you think. Check this out. Naaman goes, now I know. Right, knowing is up here, right? Knowing changes the way you think. Now I know that there's no other God in all the world except in Israel. Number three, it changes your language. Do you remember what he said? He said, I thought that the prophet would come out and call on the name of the Lord, his God. So his God goes to my God. Number four, a heart of gratitude is created. Right? Naaman is no longer trying to buy his salvation. He's no longer trying to earn his salvation. But he did have a heart of gratitude. Remember what he said? He says, I, I want you to take this present. Thank you for what you did. Can I give you a gift? And it also gives you a spirit of humility. Because he says, please accept this gift from your servant. Naaman no longer saw himself as some great man who was worthy and deserving of God's cleansing, but he saw himself as one who had received it purely by grace, and he now he saw himself as a servant of God. Amen? Amen? The gospel says that it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Celebrated a baptism after our first service this morning. One of the reasons why I love baptism so much is because it's a symbolic picture of the cleansing that we receive when we come to Christ by faith. Naaman had to become like a little child. Maybe you remember the song that you used to sing as a child when you, when you were little. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you this morning. God, that your great grace is available to us. God, I thank you for the, the great news of the gospel. And God, that though we were powerless to save ourselves, God, that there was one who defeated death on our behalf, one who loved us so much that he came from heaven to earth to do everything that we couldn't do, to conquer all the demons and the forces of darkness and the devil, and the one who was raised again on the third day on our behalf. God, we're the recipients of your grace here this morning. God, we praise you that you do save unexpected people. God, that your grace comes to even the worst sinners. God, that there's no one far, too far from you to be saved. And God, we, we even just want to thank you that, that your grace comes through unexpected people as well. God, that the people that you put in our lives are there to help us, that they're to point us to Christ. And so, Father, I pray that this week you would help us to be on alert, God, to keep our eyes open. God, to look for an opportunity either to be like the young girl and share the good news with somebody. And God, just trust you that you'll take that word and that you'll use it powerfully. Or God, that we would even look for someone to speak a word into our life. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you have accomplished the salvation on our behalf. We love you, God. We worship you. Thank you now in Jesus' name.